people will tell you when they talk about, they'll say, oh, remember that guy? He never went in the gym, but man, was he strong. You know, he couldn't, like, he, he never touched a barbell, but he was built like a brick shit house, or he could, on the field or on the ice or on the court, he did this thing that time. Remember, it was incredible. Oh, my God, how did that happen? So I, I think that that's the, sort of the problem is that we've left the, the gym or the weight room guide our definition of who's strong and who isn't. Welcome to the Heroic Minds Podcast, where we discover how to get out of our own way, unleash the full capability of our mind, become the hero of our story, and a hero for other people. From an evolutionary perspective, we've evolved to manage threatening encounters. I do everything in my ability to help them, but they make the call. We have to do it in a way that doesn't just assume that going faster is going to be the cure-all. When you suffer, and then you come out of it on the other side, you stand a little taller, your voice doesn't shake anymore, your eyes are always up. Sorry to depress you guys. Self-doubt is par for the course. It's just how you choose to deal with them, react to them, or not react to them. Uh, a little tough love goes a long way, and high expectations also goes a long way. But the more you expect of someone, the more they'll do. I have to keep moving forward. No good comes from going back. I don't need red tape. I'm not into rules. I'm not into regulation. I'm just going to do this. Welcome back to the Heroic Minds Podcast. On today's episode, we have Matt Nickel. Some may recognize that name as being one of the best strength coaches in the world. Some may recognize it as the name behind Biosteel Sports Strength. Matt Nickel received his Bachelor of Education degree in kinesiology and history from McGill University. He then moved on to do his Master's of Kinesiology and Master's in Coaching at York University. He is the creator of Biosteel Sports Strength and is a strength coach for some of the best athletes in the world. In this episode, Matt defines strength. He debunks myths about what is strong and what is not. In a social media research-driven world, Matt provides insight into how we should approach exercise. Further, how we should execute it. We then dive into some specifics. What is the relationship between strength and mobility? What is a strong core? Is high intensity interval training as good as they say? Should we always train to failure? And a whole lot more. I will be honest out of the gates, this episode came from a little bit of a selfish place. I look on social media, I reflect on my own life, my ego included, and I think it's gotten away from me of what is strong. What should I be doing to become quote unquote strong? What are the myths being tossed around these days that we should debunk, we should dive into? Let's talk about it. I will be honest, and I told Matt when we began talking, this episode came from a little bit of a selfish place. I don't know if you can relate with me on this, but I think during this changing landscape due to the pandemic, a lot of us have been forced to find new forms of exercise, physical fitness. We've been obligated to try new things, yoga, body weight exercises that's different than what we may have been doing at the gym. And for me personally, I realized, wow, there are a lot of parts of my physical fitness, my physical well-being, my mobility that aren't exactly where I'd like them to be. I'd like to improve them. And then I look on social media and I see different messages of what is strong, how we should work out, how we shouldn't work out. And I wanted to get those questions, those myths cleared up with one of the best in the world. And that's the reason for this episode. Now, before we hop into things, as always, we have to give a shout out to our good friends over at True Local that continues to evolve, continues to improve, and continues to be outstanding with product and customer service. That's high quality, individually packaged meats and soon to be individually packaged and frozen fruits and vegetables delivered to your doorstep. That's truelocal.ca, T-R-U-L-O-C-A-L.ca. We got a package of the frozen bananas that they were testing out, and I told them, and I will tell you, they were absolutely outstanding. They're going in our shakes, they're going in our oatmeal, and then, as always, our high-quality, unbelievable meat arrived with it. That's truelocal.ca. Their customer service is also absolutely outstanding. There's no hidden fees, no hidden costs. Everything's clear as day, black and white. They'll get back to you as soon as you want. If you have any questions, they are outstanding. That's truelocal.ca. If you want to give them a try, use my discount code HEROICMINDS25, all capital letters, to get $25 off a regular size box and $10 off a personal size box. Alrighty, here we go. When you got your opportunity with the Toronto Maple Leafs and early on, you actually worded it as being somewhat of a, a fraud because you weren't 
necessarily from that hockey world specifically, even though you were from the, the strength and conditioning world. How did that play into your favor early on in your career, stepping into an environment that you weren't completely uh, as well versed in? Yeah, well, at the time, it certainly was very scary and uh, intimidating, and, and I had lots and lots of moments of self-doubt, uh, that's for sure. But I think that if I look in the long run, that actually certainly did work to my benefit because it forced me to, uh, to not just rely on tradition or not just uh, rely on, on things that I had done personally or previously. So it forced me to, to really do a lot of research. It forced me to never take it for granted uh, and, uh, you know, really, really get outside my comfort zone and, and not be afraid to fail, not be afraid to try new things uh, because everything for me was a new thing. You know, I think that's uh, when you talk about trying, you know, you know, having the courage to try new things. Well, that in that, role everything I did was new to me essentially you know and I had trained some hockey players in the past and some and some very good ones some NHL star players uh, a couple but that certainly wasn't you know the the depth and the breadth of, of my experience I was a football guy first and foremost and some other Olympic sports but but certainly not you know the world's expert on hockey that's for sure so I think that it forced me again to do a lot of the hard work and a lot of the heavy lifting and that I maybe wouldn't have done necessarily. I think if it were football, I would have had a, a little bit more comfort and I could have relied on, well, I did that. So I'll just stick to that for now, you know, or I would have been a little bit uh, less, uh, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know what, I don't know if the right word is motivated, but uh, certainly maybe, you know, just a less, maybe a little less uh, exploratory with, uh, with my research. If you don't mind me asking, as this podcast is always about, uh, trial, tribulation, failures. What was one of the biggest maybe mistakes or adversities you had in that position that you had to really quickly find a way to to push through? Well, it was funny because when I, I think if I reflect back on it now, one of the things I remember was when you come into that and you, I don't know how much of that time you'd remember, but if there's anyone that's my age, it's certainly in there in the hockey world, they'd remember at that time. There was, there was a period of time where maybe hockey players weren't so much into, uh, I mean, they certainly maybe weren't into very specific strength and conditioning, but may, there was a time when they weren't even really necessarily into fitness uh, training or exercise off the ice. And then that sort of, uh, by the time I was involved, that those days were gone, but uh, the strength and conditioning was a lot of uh, you know, circuit style training and a lot of stationary bike riding was a big thing for whatever reason. You know, and I, I think my first year, and I'm not sure that I, I'm not, I don't know if I would classify it as a mistake because at least in my mind, I was sort of uh, doing, you know, best practices. Like I didn't want to, I, before you, uh, you know, talk about thinking outside the box, but before you can think outside the box, you have to understand what's in the box and you have to understand the box. So I think when I started my first year, I just sort of looked around and I said, well, this is what every other team was doing. Cause I spoke to a lot of other guys and other teams. This is what this team that I'm working for had been doing previously so uh, for the time being, I'll just keep doing that because I don't want to look like I don't want to make a huge mistake. I don't want to I don't want to get rid of this thing that I and I didn't really understand uh, that component of what you're doing, uh, all the stationary bike riding you're doing and all this, uh, you know, aerobic training, like long, slow, steady aerobic training in season and, and these different anaerobic intervals that the guys are doing in season. It didn't really make sense to me, but I just assumed that that's because I, there's something I don't get because I'm not a hockey guy. And it's and it, it sort of, you know, so not definitely not trusting my gut. And then even when I, I, I looked at it from a scientific perspective and did a little more research and it still seemed out of phase with what was what was really in my mind right, I still kept doing it for a period of time because everyone else was doing it. So I'm sure like I can't be, you know, I can't be the only guy not doing that. You know, it's a pretty big risk to take. So I didn't, uh, I didn't want to change too much too fast. I didn't want to rock the boat too much as a new guy because I thought, all right, well, I'm already, everyone sort of knows I'm not a hockey guy and I don't necessarily look the part and uh, I don't always talk the part. So I don't want to go into a completely new system of things and then really blow my cover. So I think that if I, if I were to go back in time now, I would have a little more confidence or if I was working with a team now, I would have more confidence to sort of say, hey, take a leap of faith with me because I've, I've done the due diligence and I really know that what I'm giving you is the best advice. 
That's awesome. Such a timely message too, obviously, as we're innovating the way we we choose to live and different businesses are trying different things. Has, has that found its way into other parts of your life where you've reflected on that and thought, you know what, I, I made this mistake once, I'm going to throw this at the wall and see what sticks. Has that ever come back to your life and, and been a benefit? Yeah, no, I mean, a number of times it has, I think for sure. In, in the world of training, it has absolutely because there are a lot of things that... Uh, you know, people I came across and they were, you know, maybe concepts or, you know, ideas that were being put forth by guys that I respected and I knew were intelligent guys that had done the work, but their ideas were out of phase with what the majority were doing. And I think that, you know, the more, the more times you, uh, you have experiences like that in your life where, you know, you take a chance and you trust your gut and you follow uh, the lead of some people that you respect and it, and it turns out in your favor, the more apt you are to try to make you know those, those decisions again in the future and you, you get a little more bold with your decision-making. So there were certainly, uh, you know, lots of things that I've done like that and, you know, in, including uh, inventing a sugar-free sports drink, which is at the time was, was considered crazy, but, uh, and not supported by, any of the nutritionists or dietitians or physicians or anybody else that was in a position of authority. So uh, that, you know, all the way down to a lot of the, the training concepts that we did. But now if you went around to most gyms, this is 20 years later, but if you went around to most gyms where hockey players are training, it's really not, you know, cutting edge or revolutionary. It's kind of normal. Uh, but at the time, it, it wasn't really that way. It was a little bit different. I, I'm curious because it seems to me with strength training and nutrition, they're very there's new things coming out all the time. And I know sometimes words are twisted and research is twisted because something's sexier and it'll sell a little more. But I'm curious on the strength and conditioning side, even if you could put a number on it, but how much of the new things coming out about how we train, how we should be training, how much is really fully proven and how much is more going off a hunch that, hey, you know what, we, we're seeing that this is working in certain athletes and it may, it may not be fully proven, you know, in a textbook or in a journal entry, but it's something we're deciding to work with. I guess, what's your comfort level in, in working through things that aren't necessarily proven in a journal or, or an article of some sort? Well, I think that in, in my profession, the vast majority of the time, the science follows the art. It's not and not the other way around. And I think that if you're, especially if you're dealing with world-class professional athletes, you don't always have time for everything you do to be published in a you know peer-reviewed journal, double-blind, placebo-controlled uh, trials. It just doesn't work that way. And something uh, a guy that I spent a lot of time with at the, at the very start of my career, uh, Charlie Francis, who's a, a legendary coach, he said something at one time that the the role of the scientist is to figure out why what I'm doing is working. And that always, that always stuck with me, you know, and that, that and I, uh, and I get, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the, the world of academia and I have, I have two master's degrees. So obviously I'm, I'm, you know, I believe that there's value in, in formal education. And I think that that process uh, of, of uh, doing research, performing research, and, and ultimately if you're lucky enough to get your research published, it, it's incredibly valuable because it teaches you the fact that you can't just rely on, opinions or conjecture or, or hearsay or even your own observation, you have to be able to prove, you know, was this, is this a one-off? Is this a, is this a concept that actually holds true? Am I really seeing what I'm seeing? Am I missing something? Are there variables that I'm not accounting for? So I, I believe there's, there is lots and lots of value in that. But the problem is that in my world, there are a lot of world-class coaches that are doing things and seeing things and making things happen in their training. And it hasn't yet been borne out or it hasn't been proven by science yet, but that doesn't mean that it's wrong. Mm -hmm. it, you know, because at the end of the day, I mean, the, the, the world used to be flat until it was round. I mean, it, it finally <laughs> took someone to, you know, the, the sun used to revolve around the earth. So right. science eventually does catch up and, I, and there is, there is an, you know, incredible value. And I think I would obviously, you have to qualify that by saying, if there's a new exercise in the gym that's a variation of an exercise that are, is already well proven and this new version seems more effective to me and I try it and I like it and I try it with a few people and they like it, I'm not going to wait for the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research uh, two years from now to come out with a paper published that shows that it works. That's a little bit different than, uh, you know, ingesting some sort of a, a pill or, uh, you know, a, 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 some type of medicine that, you know, could potentially be fatal. But, 
obviously there's there's a there's a range and there's a spectrum to this too, obviously. But I'm not, uh, you know, I'm I'm certainly not one that's gonna to sit back and wait for uh, double blind, peer reviewed, placebo controlled <laughs> research published in a journal to tell me what works and what doesn't. Right. Right. Now going into the this fully loaded question that I. I I'm excited to see where you take it and this will kind of guide the the rest of the conversation. But I, I dug up one of the quotes from an interview you did and uh, a part of it said, every client is unique. No two bodies are the same and everybody has different issues with diet or sleep patterns. Athletes in different sports need completely different training programs. Now that holding true, do you think there is a universal definition or idea of physical strength that could be adopted throughout whether that's you know a basketball player a hockey player or someone that that unfortunately is in an office for most of their job is there an idea or an approach that you believe is the healthiest when it comes to an ideal physical strength well that's a great question because you know even and i would even go i would dive down even a little bit deeper uh and say that you know they're not not just athletes in different sports require unique programs but every person you know, can make an argument for them requiring a unique program and and that you know not even the, even within that unique program they have different learning styles and different and respond to different styles of coaching and different cueing and everything else so it's a it's it's a really complicated question but i think that i, I get where you're going with it and i, I think i can answer that is that on a on a literal level, or if you're, if you're talking strength is strength. So it's, you know, the application, uh, you know, either the application of force or the ability to withstand force. That's a pretty simple definition. Uh, now within that, does that mean doing it with a barbell on your back, uh, for X number of pounds for X number of reps? No, I mean, it can be expressed in, in lots of different ways. And I think that's part of the problem is that uh, at least you know, certainly in North America, and uh, you know, I don't have much more experience here, obviously, than do around the world, but uh, a lot of the, that definition of strength for, for guys like me, at least, or people in my business, relates back to how much weight you can put on a barbell and move it once or, or a certain multiple of times for a couple of very specific exercises. Uh, now there are lots and lots of athletes that are strong that you know maybe aren't strong in a weight room, and, and that's and you know that Ben because you played sports at a high level, and as did I. There's always guys. It doesn't matter what the sport is. It doesn't matter what the era. People will tell you when they talk about. They'll say, "Oh, remember that guy? He never went in the gym, but man, was he strong." You know, and he couldn't like he, he never touched a barbell, but he was built like a brick shit house, or he could on the field or on the ice or on the court. He did this thing that time. Remember, it was incredible. Oh my God, how did that happen? So I, I think that that's the, sort of the problem is that we've, uh, we've let the, the gym or the weight room guide our definition of who's strong and who isn't. And it's, you know, it's certainly a, it can be a conduit to strength on the field or the ice or the court. Uh, and obviously it's something I, promote and I advocate for it's my business but that being said you know I have lots of athletes that I train that have never done a squat and they're incredibly strong or have never done a bench press and they're incredibly strong and I know lots of lots of people in life that have never been to a gym and they're incredibly strong and they're you know where they're, they're and you wouldn't have to go very far back in time if you look at you know if we're talking about uh, humans as a species not not just our society, but if you think back, you know, a hundred years ago, certainly 200 years ago, how many gyms were there? Very few, if any. So, but there were people that were incredibly strong that, that accomplished feats of strength that today athletes with all of the technology and the incredible facilities and all of the, the, the drugs and the pharmacology still can't match some of those feats of strength. So obviously it's uh, there's more to it than that. And then if you, that's, you know, how, how that's, I guess, speaking about how you display or develop that strength, but then what exactly, again, back to the literal definition of the word, the ability to produce force, everyone, everyone gets fixated on that, but it's also the ability to, to withstand it or absorb it. So it's no different, you know, Ben, you're a hockey player. So, you know, there are guys, there's a difference between guys that are tough because they knock other people down, but then there are some players that are tough because they never get knocked down. And then, and then I would also say that, you know, there are some players that get knocked down a lot, but they keep getting back up or they get injured and they keep going, you know, or they, they get, 
beaten up, but they stand up and they get back in the game. Well, that's a whole other kind of toughness, you know, as is, as is a goalie who maybe is never collided into, he's never touched in the, in the contact or collision sense of the word, but what an, what an incredible amount of mental toughness to be in that net, have all the pressure on you, you know, when the game's on the line, it all comes down to resting on your shoulders. That's a whole other kind of toughness. So, and it's a whole other kind of mental strength. So I think that that, that, you know, strength is uh, a word that, that gets used in, in uh, a lot of different applications. But unfortunately, a lot of times we, people like me, decide if you're strong or not based on how much you can squat or bench press. Amazing. That is, that is exactly, <laughs> I mean, I didn't know that's where it was going to go, but that is exactly what I was, was hoping, like a, just a, a new definition or an up-to-date uh, realization, kind of taking this cover off of what we think strength actually is and showing what it really is, I think is important in a time where we see videos. I mean, my Instagram's full of it, of people just getting under a bar and getting under a bar and lifting this weight, lifting that. And for a time personally, it was like, okay, I guess I got to do that then. And this pandemic has been huge for me to realize when I started doing yoga and watching different videos, training different ways, I realized that even without any weight, there are certain parts of my body that just aren't as strong as I, as they should be, I believe in, in where I'm at and where I want to be. So uh, that's why I really enjoy that. That was, that was fantastic. Now, as you were speaking, not to put yourself out of business, but I wondered knowing that then when you approach these professional athletes, the clients you work with, knowing what you just said, that there are sometimes people that are just naturally strong. They never go to the gym. There's different types of people that are strong in different ways. How are you able to do that with the number of clients that you have with completely different goals? I would say too, what is, what is a, I guess your healthy approach to make sure you can cater to and tailor everything to each individual. It was, it, I, I don't have a, a cookie cutter formula and I, and I don't always get it right either. That's, that's important. You know, I want to make sure I say that is that uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not batting a thousand and, and every once in a while you go down a road with an athlete, it's clearly not working and you got to kind of stop and regroup and find a new approach. But um, I think part, part of the thing that's helped me is that I, I don't define myself. I'm not a, uh, powerlifting coach. I'm not a bench press squat or deadlift coach. I'm not an Olympic lifting coach. I'm not a barbell or a dumbbell or a kettlebell guy or uh, a body weight guy. I'm, I'm, my job is to help these athletes be more successful, achieve their goals, achieve their dreams, whatever that means, you know? And so in some, in some cases, maybe uh, I'm, I'm more of a sports psychologist. In some cases, maybe I'm more of a nutritionist. Uh, sometimes I'm just a, holding up a mirror and, and kind of showing these guys where they're at and reflecting back on them, the, the things that they've told me were their goals and their plans and making sure they stay aligned on that. And sometimes I am just a bench press or a squat or a deadlift guy, if that's, if that's what's needed in, in whatever case. So I think that the most important thing for me to remember though, is at the end of the day, getting, spending some time with that athlete and finding out, okay, what, what is it you want? Why did you, I, I don't advertise and, uh, and I have a pretty, small business and I'm pretty selective about who I take. So if you ended up here, that means that you either know me or you know somebody that knows me or someone that you trust and respect told you that this was the place for you. So why did you come here? Why did you end up with me? What is it exactly that you're looking for? How can I help you? How, how can we work together? What is it you need from me? So by starting with that, you get a real clear idea. And for some athletes, they it's about getting faster and stronger and, and achieving X number of pounds on this lift or, or this, you know, losing this many pounds or gaining this many pounds for some athletes, it's just trying to hang on for one more year and stay healthy and grind out one more year and get in a contract. And for some it's uh, rehabilitating injuries and others, you know, need a little bit more life coaching and direction in that aspect. So that's the, the part about my job that I love. It's, that's a, you know, if I was just there to be a, a, a barbell, guy or a dumbbell guy or a kettlebell guy or, or, or increase your bench or squat. Well, I wouldn't get a whole ton of enjoyment out of just that. And to be honest, there's lots of guys out there that are probably a lot better than I am at that. So I think that the part about my job that I love is really the all encompassing role of trying to help be sort of the air traffic controller and, and make sure that these guys know what their destination is and can land the plane safely. It very much sounds like it's purpose driven. Anyone that walks through your door it's not just, okay, let's sweat today. 
let's, you know what, let's redline it today, Thursday and, and Friday, and then take your weekend off. You know, let's, it's, it's actually the opposite is it's purpose driven. We know where we want to get to now. Let's find a way to get there as opposed to let's just work hard. No, absolutely. We see a lot of times today uh, is that every, again, everything you're saying, there's a purpose. I think there's such a healthy reminder in that uh, when it comes to anything we're doing, but even more so fitness, I'd say personally, that's where I, I would just work hard. I thought I'm just going to do as many movements as I can. I'll whatever machines open, whatever bars open, et cetera, I'll do, I'll put it into a circuit and without actually having specific purpose and at least a little bit of a goal uh, to work towards and, and shape what I'm doing. It, it caught up to me and now I'm you know working on my hips and my core and balancing everything out, working on mobility. So I really appreciate that. What is your uh, answer, I guess, to someone that, that, I mean, they hear from you right now, you know, there are different types of strength. There are people that walk into a gym every day and they may never be as strong as some guys that, that don't walk or women that don't walk into a gym. Um, knowing that we're different and people have different types of muscle, people build muscle differently. For those that are frustrated with that, obviously I'm, I'm leaning more outside of the sporting world. What is your message to people like that? Should they just leverage the tools they have? What is your approach to, to someone that may be frustrated with where they're at physically? Yeah, I think that, again, understanding that there are, are so many different roads to Rome. You know, the, there's a million ways to get there. And I think that whether that's, you know, there could be somebody that has gone to the gym and, and, and just it did not appeal to them. It didn't jive with their either their biomechanics or their physiology or just their, their personality set. Or it could be someone, you know, it's funny, I had this conversation with someone just the other day. Like my brother was a, a, a pretty elite middle distance runner and, uh, you know, still does marathons and triathlons and things like that. And as a kid, he's my older brother. So I always looked up to him and I would try to go running with him, you know, and even, you know, as far back as elementary school, he would get up in the morning and go for runs. Well, I, it, it was like torture for me, but I, but I just assumed that that's because I, I sucked at it and I had to work harder, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't my jam. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't my thing. I wasn't built for that. But I think that, you know, and I see that this time of year now, as soon as the weather gets a little nicer, and especially now with all the gyms being closed, people assume, well, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to become a runner. I'm going to take that up. And, and, and good for them for at least trying to, to do something that's healthy for them. But some people are going to do it, and they're not going to have success. They're going to have sore ankles, knees, hips, back, whatever the case may be. And, and then they may think, oh, geez, I'm just... I'm an unfit person or man, look at me. I've really, you know, I've, I've let it go and man, this is terrible. And I just not cut out to be a healthy fit person, but that same person might be, you know, might do well uh, with, with weight training and that weight training person that didn't have success might've been well as a runner. And there might be a third person that tries a yoga class and falls in love with that and gets great strength from that. I mean, there's a million different things you can do. So the, the, the mode or the form or the type of the exercise is almost irrelevant. I think it's, again, like, and even in your case, you said I went to the gym and I just, you know, I tried every different machine and just whatever was open. Okay. Well, that's obviously not the most uh, scientific approach. It's not, <laughs> probably not optimal, but, but I would say the magic there is that you went to the gym and you wanted to be better and you tried every, you know, like the fact that you tried every available machine, well, that tells me you didn't stand around complaining because the machine you were planning on trying was busy and then just go home and say, wow, I was going to try that machine, but it was busy. So the gym sucks. I'm not going back. So I think your, you know, your mindset is the magic and your heart was in the right place. And, uh, you know, maybe, you know, that form of exercise or that gym or whatever the case may be, maybe that wasn't optimal for you. But I think that that, that mindset of just wanting to be better and being open-minded about trying things, eventually they'll find their, their form of exercise because God knows there's, there's lots of them. There's, you know, there's, there's more, types of exercise and more types of gyms and more types of activities now than you can ever imagine. I agree. I agree. I, I appreciate the constructive criticism as well. I, I need that. <laughs> so a, a question, again, I see this on Instagram. I see, you know, myself, my own ego. When we see these incredible videos of people doing, I would say proper Olympic lifts and they're moving their bodies in such ways that it's just phenomenal. Is it truly possible for if everyone put the time in 
and, and we may have already answered this, but is it possible to get to a point where we can do those lifts? We can lift, you know, even a decent amount of weight over our head, have our you know proper hips, proper back, proper shoulders. Or is that something if, if, you know, you put the time in and you're not quite getting there in a safe way, should people move on from that? Well, I would say this, uh, if you, if you spoke to, you know, local KW celebrity academic guy, uh, Dr. Stuart McGill, probably the world's foremost ep- expert on, on the spine, he could tell you that there are certain people's mechanics, uh, you know, and I'm speaking specifically about the orientation of the pelvis that's just not designed for deep squatting. You know, there are some people have a, a shallow uh, capsule and some don't, and some people are just, you know, because of their their ancestry, their genetics, their, their, their bony construction, they're not well suited to be full squatters. Now, does that mean that they could never do a full squat or never do a, a clean or a snatch? No, absolutely not. Of course, of course you could do it if you're willing to put the time into perfecting your technique and, you know, getting whatever requisite level of treatment and therapy to, to deal with any little issues that come up along the way. Now, does that mean that that person could become a world champion? No, it, 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 they probably won't. You know, it's no different than people ask me all the time about speed training and can these people get, everybody can get faster. Every single person can get faster. That doesn't mean every single person can be Usain Bolt. That's, that's, a, different, that's a different thing. So I think that the, the Olympic lifts are a great example of uh, one that I use in my practice. We, we don't use it with everyone. In fact, probably it's a, a much lower percentage of our clients uh, do Olympic lifts than don't. Uh, not because uh, it's impossible for them to do, but because generally speaking, you know, when I get an athlete in the off season, I, I'm, I'm lucky if I get two straight months with them or, you know, three would be awesome. You know, there's very rarely I would get more than that. Maybe, you know, maybe four uh, in, a, in a dream world. That's not a ton of time to, to clean up all the technique and perfect a lot of those lifts. Uh, and I'm also not the, the greatest coach in the world. So I'm sure there are, maybe there are some coaches that could get there faster than me, but I think in my, in my calculation, it's, there's ways that we can modify those lists. Cause in my case, none of my athletes signed up to my gym to become world-class Olympic lifters. They, 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 there are gyms that do that. I'm not one of them. My gym is predominantly for NHL hockey players. And we have, you know, the, the odd NFL player, NBA player, but, but it's predominantly NHL hockey players or junior players aspiring to be NHL hockey players. So any exercise we do is just a means to an end. So uh, that's why I don't do the, a lot of them. But if you said, you know what, my goal is to uh, open up a gym and I'm going to teach everybody how Olympic lift, I think that would be fantastic because there's a ton of benefits, but you'd have to do that with the understanding that there are a lot of people uh, for whom those exercises are just sort of contraindicated. doesn't mean impossible. doesn't mean they can never, ever do it. It just means that for that person, it's probably going to be a lot more time, a lot more effort. They're going to experience a lot, uh, you know, a greater number of bumps in the road and setbacks and, and, and possibly expose themselves to more risk of, of injury than another person. And then that's just a choice they have to make if, if there's a reason why they have to do a barbell snatch or a barbell clean. Would, would they maybe just be happy with a dumbbell or a kettlebell version or a modified version of those two things or something else? So that, I guess that's, I hope that wasn't too long-winded of an answer, but that's, that's no, my thought on it. That's fantastic. It comes back to the, the purpose <laughs> question, yeah. idea, concept again. It really does. And the next point that, that I see, again, I'm looking at my own life, reflecting on my own ways of, of exercise, and then also what we see all over social media, this idea, and I think it, it somewhat is grown from the CrossFit world and that, that approach and not saying that's bad not, by no means, just the idea of the, you know, the redlining. Well, you want to be able to work as hard as you can while lifting as much weight as you can. And being quite honest, I, I feel like that my ego gets involved and now I'm more inclined to lift, you know, I'll go up the extra five pounds and I'll just do it and I'll just find a way to get it done. Well, then, you know, three weeks later, how's my lower back feel? So I'm, I'm wondering your approach to the working as hard as you can in every workout. Is that something we should look to do? Is What are the pros and cons to that approach to, to exercise? I think that the, you know, the, the concept is good in general. And, uh, you know, there's no pain, no gain. And a lot of the, uh, a lot of the training, by the time it gets its way 
down, or at least the training science, by the time it works its way down to guys like you or me, or I would imagine many of your listeners, uh, a lot of these concepts, uh, people take it, and and, and rightfully so. I, I mean, if they, if I want to, um, you know, if I want to study sprint training and how to get faster, I want to know what Usain Bolt is doing. Mm-hmm. You know that you know. I want I want to know what the what the, the fastest guys in the world are doing, right? And if I look at strength training, I, I want to look at who you know who are the top power lifters or Olympic lifters, and I want to follow their program. But what we sometimes fail to remember is that you know that that person that that top Olympic lifter or that top power lifter, the program that you are are trying to follow, they're not also you know hosting a podcast and running a business and working a full-time job or they don't have three kids at home or they're not, they're not uh, 45 years old with some old injuries some stuff they did before. So you try to apply that stuff to your life. It's not, a, it's not a problem with that concept or the program or the system. It's just, it, it wasn't designed for you. Mm. That was designed for somebody different. So I think that we have to understand that you have a, a your body and you as a person have a limited capacity for stress whether that's physical, mental, emotional, whatever the case may be. And I think that if you, you know, in the case of an elite athlete, and I've, you know, I've trained some pretty elite athletes and I'm working with uh, one now in an Olympic sport and they would train multiple times per day, six days per week. Uh, the majority of those sessions are extremely hard. They're, now they're different. You know, some sessions are more taxing aerobically. Some sessions are more taxing and taxing anaerobically, but Either way, they're all really hard. But again, that's all this person is doing in life is training. There's nothing else. They train, they eat, they sleep, they get treatment. That's it. That's all they do. They don't have a ton of, uh, you know, life stress, work stress, family stress, relationship stress, financial stress. They don't have that. So I think we have to be always cognizant of the fact that you're, you, what, regardless of what your, your goals or, or intentions are, you have to be respectful of the body. And there's times that you know, if you haven't been sleeping well and you haven't been eating well and you're under a tremendous amount of stress, it doesn't mean you shouldn't exercise, but those might be times that you need restorative exercise. You might need some aerobic work. You might need uh, a yoga practice or some type of a, a Tai Chi or Qigong or something that's going to restore energy and work within rather rather than just going in and beating yourself down uh, with another CrossFit workout. And then when you get your energy back up and your body's feeling good again, then you can go back and then try to crush your goals with the barbells and dumbbells. And would you say there's a difference in that level pertaining to strength training versus aerobic or endurance training? Or are they relatively, would they be the same in a sense of how often and how hard you should push? No, I think that, I mean, without getting super complicated, uh, which is easy for me to do sometimes, so I have to remember (laughs) to reel myself back in, but there's two branches to your nervous system. You you parasympathetic branch and the sympathetic branch. So there are times when an athlete uh, comes in and their sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight branch that people are most familiar with is sort of exhausted and beaten down. It doesn't mean they have to go home, but that might be a day for a, a long aerobic workout. Those are the kind of workouts that you can almost sort of just shut your brain off and, and get in the flow of the workout and go and you sweat and you get your heart rate up a little bit and call it a day. That's different than doing, you know, trying a one rep max on a snatch where you need to be dialed in. You need to be truly in the moment. You know, you have to be very, very self-aware or you're going to actually hurt yourself. So, and that's not even to mention the fact that you're going to need explosive power and, you know, like, which, which all again comes back to that sympathetic nervous system. So I think just understanding that there are, you can't, even the greatest athletes in the world, they don't crush records every time they go to the gym. And if you look at, you know, I, I used to compete in powerlifting. There's a guy by the name of uh, Eddie Cohn, who's, you know, arguably the greatest powerlifter of all time. And he would always talk about these small incremental gains, you know, 5, 10, 15 pounds, you know, in a training cycle. No, no, no one gets super excited about that. But you know what? If you keep going up, you know, you keep adding, you know, 10, 15 pounds to your lift a couple of times a year for 5, 10, 15 years in a row. Well, wow. But, but the problem is, as a society, we want, we want the four week program. We want to like, I, I've been sitting on my ass eating Doritos all winter and I want to look, I want to look ready and ripped for the beach four weeks from now, <laughs> which is just, unfortunately that's, that's, it's a, that, you know, our instant gratification, fast food, 
internet mindset that we have now, it, it, the body doesn't work like that. The body, you know, so I think having a, having an understanding of, okay, what's the goal? What's the end goal six months from now or a year from now? Okay, great. As long as we get, as long as we're on a trajectory to get there, today doesn't have to be the greatest day ever. Today can be an easy day. Today can be a different day. Uh, as long as whatever I do today is moving me closer to my ultimate goal, then I'm still on track and I'm still doing okay. Wow, I love that idea. Jeez, that can be pulled into a bunch of different contexts. I like that. We're starting to get to a little bit of the the mental side to this. And and I, I want to dive in there. But before we do, there were a couple other things I want to debunk. Uh, again, from a little bit of a selfish, yeah. uh, selfish approach. Uh, is there a... Uh, a give and take balance between strength and mobility. Is that true? Does it come back to the, these individuals that have the team around them and the ability to commit their, all their days to it? Or is it not as much as, as we may think, you know, if I, if I lift too much, I won't, you know, I'll lose the mobility in my hamstring, so on and so forth. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm the best guy to answer that. Cause I can tell you that, you know, when I was a young athlete, I, I've, I've been going to the gym since I was probably about 14 or 15 years old and got really serious about it when I was 17 or 18 years old. And it was a huge part of my life. And I spent hours and hours at the gym and I obsessed about it and I read about it and I studied it and I talked to people and I, I tried new things, but I never stretched. <laughs> I never, there was no such thing as a foam roller. Like you, you, you went in and you, squatted as much as you could squat and you benched as much as you can bench. And later on, probably too late in my career, I learned about, you know, Olympic lifting and then I was cleaning and snatching as much as I could and you throw in some sprints and and away you go. But I I think that, and now I'm probably paying the price for for a lot of that and not having done any of those, those mobility exercises. But I contrast that to what I see now where it's, you know, the, the, the mobility and the recovery routine are twice as long as the actual training. I'm not sure that's, I'm not sure that's right either. So uh, I think that you, you have to, you know, we do a ton of warm up and activation type work at our gym, probably more than most. Um, we have a lot of, uh, you know, we have chiropractors and osteopaths and massage therapists and physiotherapists that work with our athletes. And, and we do yoga and we do Eldoa and we do eccentrics and we do all sorts of recovery activities. But at some, at some point in time, I think you do have to ask yourself if you're, you know, if you're constantly uh, lacking mobility and working on your meal and you're constantly doing recovery and in pain and banged up from your training, maybe there's something wrong with your training. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that as, as a species, like, you know, we're, if you, you know, if you look at just about any animal in nature, they probably, they do, they do a little bit of stretching. I, you know, I watch my, my dog Molly every morning when she gets up, she does her big, her big <laughs> stretch or one big, you know, everyone does that, you know, downward yeah. dog. She does her little downward dog and then she kind of does a couple of leg kicks and, and away you go and <laughs> every once in a while. And every once in a while, she'll give it a little sh- a shimmy shake and then that's about it right now. Uh, and I think that, so you'll see that the idea of doing some sort of pre-activity movement is is pretty normal in nature uh and then when we, we throw a whole bunch of training on top of that uh obviously there's going to be some compensations from the training that we do but i think sometimes these some of the mobility routines that i've seen really really have, they kind of go over the top but i guess like like anything you do i would just ask yourself every once in a while it's good to ask yourself is this actually working mm-hmm. you know and, and that goes both ways so so for someone like me as a 21 year old me who's going to the gym and just crushing weight, you know, every day, but, you know, can barely touch my toes and has got a sore back all the time. Okay. Is it working? Well, yeah, it's working pretty good, but I kind of wish my back didn't hurt all the time or it's working pretty good, but I kind of wish I could open my hips up and move better on the field. Right. And for some of those mobility people that are rolling and rolling and rolling and they don't stop rolling and then, you know, they're stretching and mobilizing. And, and, and they run out of time. Work, they didn't even get, get time to get their work in because they spent an hour and a half doing mobility work. You kind of have to ask themselves too, well, is that work? And, and, and depending on what their goal is, maybe it is or maybe it isn't. Now, off of that, going from the mobility strength conversation to now, one thing I've adopted since this pandemic is getting into a bunch of yoga. Again, I was a bit of a call to action realizing, wow, my hips aren't strong in this position and my core, my lower core is not as strong. And it, realizing these, these, uh, parts of my body, um, 
is that this idea of control, you know, doing even doing Tai Chi for the first time a couple nights ago and, and starting to adopt that and breathing exercises is this idea of control. I looked at myself tra- when I was training and you alluded to it, you know, going to the gym, let's, let's find a machine, let's find something open and let's just go crush it. There was a, the realization that I had was, you know, I, I was in control maybe at the bottom of my rep and then maybe at the top. But that space in between, there wasn't as much focus on the control. It was let's get this heavy weight up yeah, as efficiently as possible, uh, but don't. But you know, for lack of so many other things, is there a way to train that will increase that control? Where where you know we have control over our body, we have control over our movements. That maybe it comes back to the nervous system. But I was curious what your approach would be to that. If someone isn't moving properly, if their balance is off, if et cetera, how can people in their daily routine would you suggest improve that? Oh wow! Um, <laughs> the one there's a lot of you know what there's a lot of there's a lot of things that I see as negative or that irritate me about social media. Uh, and also about just, you know, maybe the, the internet in general. One, one of the positive things, though, is that there are there are tons of examples, you know, lots of videos and, and not just videos now, but w- like wonderful, wonderful tutorials. Uh, you, it's still up to you to vet them because I, I can tell you from when, when this whole uh, global pandemic hit and I was writing all sorts of programs for my athletes, uh, I was... You know, occasionally I'd have to prescribe an exercise that I didn't personally have a video of, and I thought, oh, that's not a problem. You know, I'm uh, I'm not very computer savvy, but I'm savvy enough to know how to get onto YouTube. So I'd type in the exercise, and it, it sometimes it blew my mind because I thought, well, what the hell was that? Like that's 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 not how you do that, you know. Um, and so I think that that is a bit of a problem is that none of that information is vetted. So you might there are examples that look. You know, the person in the video is very fit looking, the video is well produced, but it's just wrong. It's just not done properly and sometimes not done safely, which is like properly subjective, but the safely not so much. So um, mm. I think that that's, uh, you know, there is a lot, there are a lot of access, but again, this is not a, a, a plug, you know, I'm, I'm 100% biased because obviously I own a gym and I'm a coach, but, you know, getting some coaching, it doesn't mean you have to have a personal trainer every single time you, you touch a barbell or a dumbbell, but. I, I think that getting coaching is absolutely essential. It's something that I did throughout my career as an athlete. It's something that I still do. And, you know, I coach a lot of world-class athletes, but I'm, I'm never ashamed to, to ask uh, someone else to watch my technique or to, to hire someone and have them to, to watch me do something if I'm struggling with one of my lifts and I can't quite figure out what's going on. So I think it's always good to get that, that out, you know, that outside eye or some, some coaching. I think it's super valuable. That's awesome. I, I, that was part of it. You know, I, my girlfriend moved in, she's a physio and would see the way I was squatting or lunging and uh, was able to critique my movements. And I thought, wow, I've never self-reflected on how I'm moving in years. You know, ever since I finished playing, it was just kind of work that work hard approach and that, that little bit of self-reflection. And then, like you said, now watching YouTube videos for the yoga, for exercises, it's been huge. So that, that's awesome. Um, one question I, I want to ask about the core, core strength. I've been doing a bunch of core stuff as of late. And when it comes to fending off uh, future musculoskeletal issues, uh, it was actually a Harvard journal I was reading and I briefly glanced over it, but it was just about all the benefits of, of taking care of your core. And now one of the most interesting things to me in the article was a weak core overall is one thing, but there's also the idea of an imbalanced core. And I wondered what your experience has been with that with certain athletes and how, you know, an imbalanced uh, core strength could affect the body in a negative way just as much as a weak core. Yeah, well, it, it, that's, a, that's a pretty hot topic, but it's, uh, it, that was actually uh, what I did my master's thesis on. So I, I do have, a, I have, some, I have some strong opinions, but, and I'm usually pretty good about when I, when I make statements about sharing whether or not it's an opinion or a fact, because there's a lot of things that, I'll, that I'm you know, I'm, I feel very strongly about, but I don't have a ton of research behind them. I just really believe it. And there's other things that, uh, whether I like them or not, I have to admit that they, they seem to be proven by research. So I would say that in this case, uh, you know, again, how do you define what is a strong core? You know, is it, right. is it someone that can do lots and lots of sit-ups? Is it some guy or girl on Instagram with a washboard stomach? Is it, uh, you know, someone that can, you know, I, I used to, trained a couple of gymnasts, one that was, you know, competed in the Olympics, 
And, you know, there's lots of things that I could do. You know, I could balance on a Swiss block. And I, at the time I used to, I, which I would never recommend that anybody do now, but I was young and stupid, but we would, you know, jump, we would jump from the ground onto a ball or from a ball to another ball. We would do front squats on a Swiss ball. Not, not a really smart idea, but I did it. But, uh, but my Olympic gymnast, this is, you know, top 10 in the world level kind of person, they couldn't do that. So who's got better balance? Well, I don't know. I can, you know, I can see her flip around on the balance beam and stick to landing. I can't even stand on the thing. Right. So <laughs> I think they're, that a lot of those skills are task specific. Uh, so, you know, I, I see, again, we go back to people like, you know, strong core. I've seen videos of people on Instagram that, you know, maybe have never been to a, to a commercial gym that is either doing things on a set of parallel bars or a tree branch in a park that are, you know, I could go to a gym for the next 20 years. I couldn't do those things. So I, I'm not, you, you have to be a little careful how, again, when you, you know, you're the one who brought that up, but how do you define that strength? But when we talk about that imbalance, I think that is an important thing because a lot of people, when you look at the uh, the role of, and, and again, what what is the core? Is it, is it the abdominals? Is, is it the abdominals and the erectors and the QL? Is it all those things along with the hips and the glutes? Uh, and then you could argue on, you know, nerds like me will argue about all that stuff all day long. And most people at the gym don't really care. They just want to either look better or lift heavier or move better. So I think that the thing that people have to understand is that you need to balance, especially if you're an athlete, you need to make sure that you're balancing all planes of movement. So a lot of the, you know, a lot of the work that you do in the gym is strictly sagittal plane. So we're pushing and pulling in one direction, you know, or we're training our core in one direction, uh, which, you know, for an athlete, is not great. If someone is not an athlete and just want to look better, I still think you would want to give it some consideration to be working uh, in multiple planes. The second thing is when you look at the, at the loading, of the various muscles. So typically, and again, I look at, if I think back to myself personally, I went to the gym, you know, for, you know, probably the better part of a decade and did heavy, heavy, heavy deadlifts. Never like a set of six would have been high endurance work for me. You know, everything was <laughs> sets of five or lower. It's heavy as you can possibly go. Sometimes you'd go lighter and do power things again, as heavy as I could possibly go, but just the, the exercise necessitates that you're using less weight than the deadlift but it's all super, super heavy loaded extension. That extension pattern is loaded either with maximal weight or maximal power. And then the, the, the flip side of that, if you actually did any direct abdominal training back at, at that time, which not people did a lot, what did you do? You did a ton of reps. You did crunches, lots and lots of reps, right? Or static, mm -hmm. static, static body weight, static isometric pulse. So then you develop a really pretty, you know, you develop a pretty significant imbalance in that you've trained those muscles that you're erected to, to fire powerfully and explosively to move super heavy loads a couple of times and not have any endurance capacity. And then on the other side, you've got these muscles that have this either, either no training probably back in my day or some crunches or now a massive uh, endurance component, but, but not really a, a strength component and, and haven't really been loaded. And then you have that, you have that imbalance. So I think that making sure that you're balancing your, your, you know, your frontal plane work with your sagittal plane work and transverse, transverse plane work, especially if you're an athlete, you know, make sure you're, you're moving and rotating. Also making sure that you're balancing out some of your loading requirements. So if, if, all of, it's, if all that you're doing for your anterior abdominal wall is planking and bridging with your body weight, that's probably for an athlete specifically or anyone who's doing something, you know, and I would lump crossfitters in there as athletes and you could argue that point, but I would, uh, you know, you need to make sure that you're balancing that out by, by exposing them to increasing overload and increasing in, in, increasing strain, increasing load, whether that's external weight or manual resistance or whatever the case may be, but making sure that you're balancing out the extension of the flexion pattern. Awesome. When last, last one on this topic, would you recommend, and, and this will be from your opinion, would you recommend the high intensity interval training for, let's say beyond the, the athlete, the average person, um, or strength training separate and then working on the endurance uh, aerobic capacity on its own? That's, we go back to the individual uh, specificity. Right. That there, are some, there are some people, and you, know, you talk about that, that runner's high. Well, I, 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 I never got that. I don't know. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds really cool. I hope someday I experience it. But I had the runner's low. I just, you know, each step was like, shit damn, this sucks. Like every, you know, so 
I didn't, I never got, maybe I just had to go a little further. Maybe it didn't kick in, but uh, <laughs> so I think there are some people that just love cyclical uh, aerobic activity and that just, whether it's good for their brain or whatever the case may be, they just seem to really get great pleasure from that. And, and there are some people that don't. So the people that don't, they need to know that they don't necessarily have to do that. There are lots of different things they can do. Uh, if, if someone, if someone was well suited to both and didn't care, I think the most efficient and effective way is to, is, is to do them combined to do high intensity interval training, you know, not, and when people say CrossFit, I'm not talking about snatching and cleaning or doing muscle ups or kipping pull ups. I'm not, I'm not talking about that at all, but I think the thing that made CrossFit most successful besides the community aspect of it is that is the style of training, the density of training, the, you know, the, the intensity of the intervals. You know, you could you could easily sub out an exercise for a different one and keep the concept. So, I think if, if someone was was equally suited to both styles of exercise and they didn't have a preference, the most effective and efficient way would be to do those high intensity intervals. Awesome. Now we briefly touched on the the mental side of of things, and obviously that's a hot topic today. I was curious how you've implemented that into the training you do with athletes and your clients at your gym, is it something you do separate? Is there a mental side focus behavioral side to the training that you do as well? Yeah, I, we, we do. And I, it's something that it might be the aspect of the training that I enjoy the most. And I would not, and I would never purport to be a, a sports psychologist. I've, you know, I'm not, I, I, I've taken some classes at a master's level. I've read lots of books, but that doesn't make you uh, an actual designated professional. So I'm not, I'm not a psychologist, certainly not a psychiatrist, uh, but I do take that aspect very seriously. And it's something that I try to help all of my athletes with, but I also acknowledge that there are some athletes that uh, have needs or, or wants that are beyond my qualifications or, or perhaps sometimes you just don't uh, jive with the person in, in that way. And you, and you know that, Ben and anyone who's listening who's been a, a team sport athlete at any high level knows that there are some coaches that you've had along the way that were very successful coaches, but for whatever reason, you and that coach just didn't, just didn't, didn't click, didn't connect. And you could probably talk to other people that would have said they were a great coach, uh, but you just didn't feel that way. This didn't connect with you. And you probably had some other coaches in your life that, you know, maybe were not famous and, and, and didn't receive a lot of accolades, but for whatever reason, they just really connected with you and got the best out of you. So I, I think there are, you know, it's impossible for me to be the perfect fit for everybody. So I make sure that I have a variety of different uh, coaches on staff, not, not just uh, their skill sets or the, or the exercises that they're good at, but they have different, they have slightly different personalities and they have different communication styles. And I think that's a good thing. We're not all the same on my staff because not all my athletes are going to respond to the same thing. So that's, that's good. And then even outside of all that, I do have a pretty, uh, pretty solid network of people that I will refer out to uh, when I think that it's something that requires, you know, more uh, regimented or structured sports psychology or mental training help. Now we've, we've jumped around a, a ton of different places. And as we start to, to wind down here, I'm curious, you've done so much with your career and at the same time done it in such a way that anyone that I know that knows you from very different walks of life, all speak extremely highly of you and have an immense amount of respect for you. I'm curious, what is your next, uh, what is your next journey? What is the next thing you want to take on? Is there an area in strength and conditioning or maybe even outside of, of strength and conditioning that you want to innovate? Is there something that needs change even that, that you've got your eyes set on? Oh, uh, it's a powerful question. And I think if you would have, Asked me three months ago, my answer would probably be very different than it is today. And I would hazard a guess that if you asked me three months from now, the answer would be different again. So I don't, you know, as we sit here having this conversation right now, my, my, my gym where I train my athletes is closed. Uh, I don't know when it will open. Uh, I, I would like to think that I'm not asking about if it will open, but, uh, you know, I don't really know for sure right now. So it could be open tomorrow. It could be open a month from now. It could be open a year from now. I don't know. So uh it's given me uh, a lot of time to sit and ponder this i think that that question about how we define strength is super important right now because you know if if your only association 
with that word relates back to a barbell in a gym, well, you got a bit of a problem right now. What are you, you going to do? Does that mean you can't be strong? Does that mean you can't be a strong person because your gym is closed? That's not good. So I think that it's really giving a lot of us time to sort of sit back and think about what is, what is it that we do? And the one thing that, that does give me uh, some security is that I've never defined myself in that way. And that I, I'm, you know, I, I own a gym and, you know, by literal definition, but that's really not what I do. For me, it's almost like I'm a, I'm a I, I love it because I'm like an anthropologist and I just study people and I get to hang out with really, really cool people and help them in any way that I can to achieve their dreams. So I, I still able, I'm able to do that w- without my gym being, being open because I'm, I'm still able to help them. I just have to help them in different ways. So uh, now it's, it's a case of, well, now we're strategizing. Okay. Well, what does this mean? All right, like if, it's time to start, especially my professional hockey players. There's going to come a time, you know, for the players that are in this 2014 supposed playoff format, that time is now where, you know, a month ago, my messaging to them was, hey, anything is better than nothing. You know, just make sure you're staying fit, do a yoga class, do some push-ups. Well, that's, that's not good enough anymore. Because, you know, that's not going to get you ready for NHL hockey. You need to train a little more specifically. You know, and, and for my other athletes that, that are not part of this 2014 format or for, for any of my NCAA or junior hockey players, it's all well and good now. But again, there will come a time very soon where regardless of whether the gym is open, they need to really make sure that they're, they're shifting their training focus. So I think it's, it's been a great, you know, maybe, maybe I had a, probably had a pity party for myself for a day. But after that, it's actually been a great opportunity for me to sort of get back to the drawing board. And I remember... Uh, I had a conversation with a guy by the name of Gary Gray who's a pretty famous or it used to be anyway, back in, uh, in my, in my world, uh, really, really with, uh, physical therapy and rehabilitation is fantastic with that and, and should be more popular with strength and conditioning coaches. But he said something once, this is 22 years ago that really hit home with me is that if you really know what you're doing, you should be able to rehabilitate a world-class athlete in an empty room with no equipment whatsoever. Um, you're only limited. You're only you're only limited by your creativity, and by the athlete's effort and enthusiasm. Those are the only limitations. So it's been a great experience for me. But to say, okay, I got a professional athlete. What do you got? Uh, you got a pair of ten pound dumbbells and a rubber band. Okay, all right. Let's. How are we going to do this? Let's let's work. Let's brainstorm together. Let's come up with something that not only is going to get the job done, but it's something that this person is going to be interested in and engaged in. And try to find a way to make it, you know, if you can't make it fun, at least make it motivating and, you know, make, it, make sure they can get something out of it. So it's been a great exercise for that. And then as far as the future of fitness goes, I have, I have no clue. I mean, it's, I, I would have to think that un- unfortunately, or, you know, my, you know, maybe in some cases it's a good thing because, you know, change is always good, uh, just hard when you're in the middle of it. But, you know, I think a lot of the gym industry is going to get hit very hard by this. There's going to be a lot of those traditional, large volume membership based gyms that are never going to recover from this. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a lot of people that even if they lift the restrictions tomorrow, they're not going to feel super comfortable about going to a place where there's a hundred other people standing next to you that are sweating and sneezing and coughing and breathing heavy. That, that is not going to be appealing to a lot of people. So I think that there's going to be a big change. So I, I don't know what it's going to look like yet. I certainly don't know the answers, but uh, I'm excited about trying to find solutions. That's kind of, uh, my business. I'm in, the, I'm in the, the finding solutions and creating new ideas game. So it's a good opportunity for me. Amazing. Now, I, the last thing I have to ask, and you just briefly brought it up. Uh, let's pretend there's the people listening are, are an athlete that may not feel as motivated when it comes to physical fitness. Uh, they're in a bit of a rut and, and they need to be motivated. What would your approach, your quote your concept be to an individual like that when it comes to motivating someone in your gym someone you're working with that needs that little bit of a a fire under them sometimes it's interesting that you know there are there are cases and we all have you know not not i don't care who you are but everyone has has good days and bad days not everybody is laser focused dialed in 24 7 365 it's just that's just not accurate you know and i've Mm -hmm. dealt with world-class athletes i've dealt with special operations guys that are you know life and death uh you know like it's not wins and losses life and death 
everybody has good days and bad days. So that, that's put that aside. But when, when someone's genuinely just not motivated, I think it's, it's about sitting down and remembering what, why are we doing this at all? You know, are you, are you, do you love, you know, we keep coming back to hockey because you played it and I coach it, but we'll go with that. Like, do you love hockey? Yeah, I do. Okay. Well, what, what is it you love about hockey? Okay, good. Well, what can we do? What, what can you do? Like, how can I help you to get better at that thing that you love to do? Well, I just, I, I, I just hate doing squats. They suck and they hurt all the time. Okay. So what if we never had to do those again? Oh, okay. I, I'd be down for that. That's cool. Oh, so it was just that. Okay. Well, what if it's, I, I, cause a lot of times that it comes down to that. I hate training. Well, what is training? Well, this is what we do. I, this is, I've been working out at this place for you know, the last X number of years and I just hate it. Okay. Well, what if there's, a, what if there's another way? Like, I think the problem is a lot of people have, have been brainwashed or convinced, you know, maybe some, and again, maybe those, some of those athletes that they tried a, a yoga class, they would love it. Or maybe they'd hate it. Or maybe if they try to, to go for a jog, they would love it. Or they'd hate it. Maybe if they tried CrossFit, they'd love it or hate it. So I think that understanding that there are so many different ways to challenge your body, to get stronger, to get fitter, to, that there's got to be something out there for you. And, find, and you, can, you can always find alternatives. And we try to make it fun. You know? And at the end of the day, if you, if you tried every alternative and you hate all of them, then you got to sit down and get a little deeper and figure, okay, well, what, what is the, what are you even doing any of this for? And do you even want to do that? Do you even, do you even like, is that really what you want? Is that really going to make you happy in life? Uh, and that's can be, that can be a very uncomfortable conversation because that can force some real change, not just doing different exercises, doing entirely different things with your life. Outstanding. I, I, you know what, in all honesty, we're opening up a new can of worms. We could go down for another hour and a half on the, on the mental side of things. I really appreciate you taking the time today to share all that incredible uh, insight with me. No worries. I really enjoyed chatting. Be well. That brings us to the end of another Heroic Minds podcast. If you are enjoying these episodes, as always, remember to leave a positive review on whatever platform it is that you choose to listen. Beyond that, remember to send me an email if you want to keep the conversation going. My email is always in the description of these episodes. I hope everyone is safe. I hope everyone is doing well. I hope everyone is continuing to be courageous and creative at this time of uncertainty during this pandemic. I'm Ben Finelli. This is the Heroic Minds podcast. We'll talk again soon.